golly, it's November. How? And this is a podcast where we <laughs> say golly when we need to make exclamations. Mm-hmm. Gee whiz. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it is, uh, this episode is going to be, I think, very helpful, especially if you have grown accustomed to tuning into this podcast to take notes, uh, take recommendations, because you're going to get nothing but that on this podcast. You're listening to a little too quiet. It's the Ferndale Library Podcast. It's brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. And I'm Jeff, and I think you heard a little bit from Roddy. Hi. And Mary Graham. Hello. We're here to talk about all the things that they read and watched, and I think maybe even listened to. There are a lot of notes on this table. I did not bring any of my own notes. I just want to hear what's on their notes. It's, as I said, November, the end of the year, and we're looking back. And these are things that you all read this year. Yes. Yeah. Who, yes. who wants to go first? Um, first of all, can I just say shout out to authors with pub dates in December? I'm sorry. Yeah. You never make these lists. <laughs> I know. Same thing with musicians. It is so funny because I have like an honorable mentions, aka to be reads on here because some of them are out, but some of them literally just came out mm-hmm. and I couldn't get to them before we were recording well, this. Spoiler alert. If you get your books out in November, future conversation coming up with Laura E. Weymouth, we're going to talk to an, uh, an author with a... oh. She's on the list. Well, oh, great, so, great. You'll you'll be hearing plenty. But that's a late November release for, right, for right. Laura, and we're we're still giving love to that. But whether you're on a radio station or if you're on a fancy library podcast, you usually tend to make your best of lists in November. And golly, as stated, golly, it's November. <laughs> I wish that I would have read more this year than I actually did. To be fair or to be clear, I am actually still very much online in terms of like reaching my quote unquote reading goal for the year. Um, now you don't use Goodreads so much. There's another thing. Yes, it's called Storygraph. And imagine like, okay, so I am a type of person who, while I may not be the most organized, I love it when there are things that organize for me. And Storygraph is where you can log your books. You can also set a reading goal for the year, but it will actually sort of categorize your reading habits in a graph form for you. And not just one graph form, but like several. Like if you want what genre you read the most, if you want to know how many pages the average book you read are, like... It gives you those breakdowns in graph form, like pie graph form, and also like the regular like line graphs if you really want them, but I love it so, so much. And it's a great alternative to Goodreads if you do not want to be associated with a certain company. Yes, billionaire, et cetera. So yeah, I really like Storygraph. Um, I really enjoy being able to keep track of things i and is that where you have your goal is why i brought it do you, yes, do you store I do that stuff there still use both apps um just to sort of cross populate with a lot of my friends who still use goodreads but um, my goal is always 52 books per year just a book a week that's not very much excuse me according to some people <laughs> you're talking so, to someone who has completely abandoned not only a goal <laughs> But a TBR. Yeah. I don't have a TBR. My friends are like, you should read this book. And I'm like, yeah, I'll put it on the list. Reader, the list does not really exist. So my TBR is a physical shelf full of books that I have bought. But I, have I used to do that. And read. I found it very stressful. It's so stressful. So now I operate exclusively <laughs> on vibes and on going, oh, my friend told me to read that book and the stars have finally yes. aligned. Yes. 
sort of like how, you know, the Baron and the Nightingale aligned for me this year. Oh, aligned, a.k.a. I told you to read it until you read it, which is how I get everyone with the Winter Night trilogy. And then I read all three, back to back to back. Yeah. And I was like... Listener, I was double fisting that book. I had the book in one hand, and then when I had to put that down, the audiobook was in my ear, and I was not, I was not going a moment. She did it without. Was, it was pretty cool to watch. And yeah. you all should come down to the Ferndale Area District Library because currently my staff recommendation pick is The Bear and the Nightingale. Yes. And as of this morning, it's still on the shelf. So come on down. <laughs> really glad that came back as a callback. Yes. From previous episodes. It is also the perfect time of year to pick that book up. So I read the second one during an ice storm the first time I read it. So that's awesome. It's the way it was meant to be read. (laughs) Um, That's awesome. I'm so glad that uh, (laughs) listeners who tuned in for uh, the second villains podcast episode that we did were thinking, oh, man, it's going to be more Darth Maul content. And it was like all bare in the head. (laughs) It was was all about this emotionally repressed Russian Orthodox monk in like the 14th century. Yes. Yes. So regrets aside, mm-hmm. are there things on your list you're very, very excited about? I realized that this is my cozy year. Okay. And I don't mean like cozy, like there is, there are subcategories of cozy reads in which, yes, some of the books that I read did fall into that category, but they were cozy for me. And I have to say that because one of the books on my list is called House of Hunger by Alexis Henderson. And that is about... <laughs> Uh, that is a gothic, possibly horror novel. Jeff is teaching me about, you know, the fact that those two things overlap in which, um, how do I want to put this? Essentially, young women were selling themselves as blood maidens to wealthy northern houses in icy landscapes and were literally have having their blood drained in order to, uh, you know, increase the lifespans of the wealthy northern lords. And also, it definitely takes a lot of inspiration from, uh, I think her name is Elizabeth Bathory, who's considered to be the first or one of the first uh, women serial killers. So yeah, anyway, it is not a true crime book, to be clear. It is very much a dark gothic fantasy novel. And it was great. (laughs) <laughs> I love that within hmm I mean check the check the record podcast listeners 45 seconds Roddy said cozy and then got to blood maiden serial okay, killers okay but in Roddy's awesome. defense awesome. uh I had a similar experience this year which was my reread of Dracula uh so I first read Dracula when I was uh, I think it was before my junior year of high school Uh, because it was on the required summer reading list and I read it on an e-reader and I went I I was sort of going into it not expecting to like it because I was terrified of vampires as a child Mm -hmm. but they were like like you actually read Dracula and you realize it's like oh it's a buddy heist adventure Mm -hmm. about killing a creepy old guy Mm -hmm. who is undead and so like 15 year old me was like oh this rules and so i didn't realize what a doorstopper of a book that is <laughs> i reread it on audiobook the audiobook is 19 hours long oh my um because that like just there i was with my e-reader unable to see the pages shifting in my hands uh but i had such a great time it took me like a month to get through this audiobook uh but the narrators were fantastic it's the version that we have on libby through mm-hmm. download destination so dear listener you too can experience Every eight or six pages, you're getting a new narrator. You're yes, getting a and new... so the um, the audiobook has two narrators, one for all of the female 
uh, writing epistolary stuff and one for all the mail. Um, and the, <laughs> the mail narrator, kudos to him on his Dutch accent for Van Helsing. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Dutch sure is a language. <laughs> so, but, is. but I completely understand what you mean, though, because even though I could not listen to this audiobook after dark, it, it's there's something about the like, oh, the creeping horrors beyond our comprehension. But wait, we will defeat the horrors with the power of friendship yes. and this gun that Quincy Morris found. And so, the power of friendship does also show up in House of Hunger. It. Mm. I like books that make me feel cold yeah. when I read them because yes. it makes me snuggle under something and continue to read them. And I'm just like, oh, this is wild. This is part of why <laughs> I like the book Galore so much. For the super fans who listen to this podcast, I reference that book at least every other episode because it takes place in the winter in Newfoundland. Sorry, Ooh. Newfoundland. Yes. The winters there don't mess around. No, no. That, no, no. It's if, yeah, if, uh, if, if you need bleakness to augment your coziness <laughs> i did like i said i did actually read some genuinely cozy things i'm sure some romance is on the list um yeah i have two um one is called fake it till you bake it by jamie wesley and let me tell you i was a little it, it's not quite an enemies to lover situation it is kind of like two people misunderstanding each other fundamentally however the reason why this book is on my list is it was very sweet um not a pun because it takes place in a cupcake shop primarily but because these two characters actually communicate with each other and their third act breakup wasn't like a oh i misunderstood you or you misunderstood me and we're gonna break up over something vapid it was a mutual decision because they recognized that they were becoming too codependent on each other and they needed to take some time independently to work through their issues before eventually coming back together and being like yeah i tried doing that and it worked but also i actually do want to be in a relationship with you still and I was like, this Hot. is awesome. <laughs> Literally, uh, I was hot. like, this is the greatest <laughs> romance ever. Um, and then the other time, the other romance was by Kimberly Lemming, whose work I've mentioned before. Um, <laughs> and this one has the title, That Time I Got Drunk and Yeeted a Love Potion at a Werewolf. Fantastic. Previously mentioned on this podcast and yes. remarkable. Yes. Remarkable title. There's a talking sword. It's great. Among, um, <laughs> among other things. I also have two romances on my list. The first one is The League of Gentlewomen Witches by India Holton, which is uh, a sequel to last year's Wisteria Society for Lady Scoundrels. Mm -hmm. um, thank God India Holton out here bringing back the omniscient narrator. I love it. Um, because we are mixed on first-person protagonist narrators uh, and it, romances. You, got, you, gotta, you gotta make it worth it's my tricky. time. Yeah, they have to have a good voice. Yeah. Um, so League of Gentlewomen Witches, uh, in, in our first book, we met a bunch of Victorian pirates who have flying houses. So obviously, you know, I can hear the stampede of everyone running out to buy this book immediately because that's what I did. Um, but the League of Gentlewomen Witches uh, is about the very proper witches who are like, excuse you, we are refined women. None of this flying house nonsense for us. And then the main character falls in love with a sky pirate who has his own flying house. Uh, and <laughs> what there's so many things that I love about both of these books but this book in particular is the emotional like the emotions are just really in tune mm -hmm. um 
And even though they're very funny and they could easily come across as like enjoyable, but not really substantial because the emotionality is really there and really grounded. They feel like, you know, like they have some weight to them, which I like. Not like they're sad, but just like they have some heft. And then the second romance that I really enjoyed is The Lady's Guide to Fortune Hunting, (laughs) which is much more in the vein of Georgette Heyer, but take away all of the terrible racism and (laughs) like everything that makes Heyer cringeworthy Um, or possibly Heyer. I actually can't get a consensus on how to say that one's last name. I think it might be the latter. Yeah. Um, I suppose I have heard someone describe Kat Sebastian's books as Heyer, but gayer. So that would be, that's what we're going to go with. Um, But Ladies Guide to Fortune Hunting, I have sort of been describing to people as Pride and Prejudice, but Mr. and Mrs. Bennett are dead and none of those girls are married. Um, Because it's the second oldest, I think, maybe the oldest, of five sisters uh, who is like, we have a deadline or we are getting kicked out of the house. And so mm-hmm. she goes to London to to pretend to have more money than she has and to con someone into marrying her. And it, it, she ends up attaching herself to a young nobleman and his older brother sees right through her. But just the quality of there's some mutual blackmail, which I love in a romance novel. <laughs> you know, a man tries to blackmail a woman and a woman's like, oh, reverse Uno, blackmailing you right back. <laughs> um, she's just, she's so practical but also funny and just tonally it's a very cohesive book mm-hmm. I, I mean like Roddy can remembers I probably when we got the book in and I was like oh mine and I think yes I think within about two days I mean I ate that book up really yes. fast that was so. a book that I started and didn't finish not because I didn't enjoy it but because of reading slumpier so mm-hmm. I will be returning to that book because yes it was very very good it's excellent so well, um, I read a lot of good nonfiction this year. Yes. Do I have the first? <laughs> Was this the year you read that book about medieval history that you turned me on to oh was that the bright ages i read that at the very end of last year but it's always a good time to talk about the bright ages (laughs) everybody go read the bright ages the audiobook is also really good um and it's funny there's a pun about many things but snakes on a plane is the one that always that always sticks with me very droll um but i read another really excellent history this year called a fatal thing happened on the way to the forum by dr emma southern that is about homicide in ancient rome yes and here's the thing my opinion about ancient rome has always been those guys sucked and i read this book and i was like wow those guys suck yeah you don't know how bad they suck until you read this book Mary Graham and I have talked about this book a lot. I am currently still in the process of reading it, but that, this was a book that I pre-ordered for mm-hmm. myself because of you know studying classics in college and also just in general, we have a, ten- a tendency to sort of lionize ancient Rome and the politicians there. And you know when you actually find out what they were like, you find out as Mary Graham just said, they all sucked. I would like to state for the record, I've always been a hater. I've always been an ancient Rome hater. <laughs> so I found this book very vindicating because it's written by someone. I mean, Emma, Dr. Like Emma Sutton has a doctorate in classics. Yes. Um, and you can tell like through her writing that she is like obsessed with these people in the way that one is obsessed with a train wreck one yes. can't look away from. Yes. Like she's like, here are all the juiciest gossipy. She's like, these, these people are catty 
packages. Are we talking about the the Senate, the the yes. aristocracy? Everyone, really. Okay. But especially the upper classes, yeah, because okay. that's the only people we have writing from. Right. Um, yeah. So she's like, you know, she's looking at Cicero, and she's like, okay, whatever, he's a genius, but he was also just a petty little drama queen. Yes. And <laughs> but but she is also very clear about like this was a pretty terrible place to live for the vast majority of people. She takes great care when she's writing about how it's a slave state, yes. how the entire place collapses without the enslavement of people from across the empire. And she's like, they're just a very murdery bunch of people. So much so that even even like surrounding cultures who like weren't averse to war or the death penalty or whatever were like, oh, guys, that's like a lot of murder. That's like a lot of murder, right? That's a that's a lot of murder. That's a lot of murder. So So our frame of reference, I mean mine, is Caesar, Isomarch, Brutus, etc. Right. And so this book is saying Oh, that's like every day. That's a Tuesday. Basically, yes. she's so no. she's, she spends a lot of time on of stabbing, on stabbing and murder in politics, but also, um, just like I the the bit that keeps sticking with me about that the, the detail that she mentions is so the word fascism comes from the fasce, which is um, this bundle of sticks that was carried as like part of. <laughs> ceremonial Roman stuff. And it actually has an axe head on one end. And the bundle of sticks represents the right of the state to beat its citizens and the axe head represents the right to execute them. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. Sure. And so like, <laughs> like when, when Rome, you know, like goes to town on foreign powers for killing Roman citizens, it's not because they're like, oh, you've profaned our honor or whatever. They're like, no, 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 no. That's our job. Yeah. No, it's our job uh, to kill our citizens. Let's. We are not having an ancient Roman podcast, which I guess. No, I'm Stay not. Stay tuned. Twenty twenty three. But Jeff, these people were so rich and so powerful and so petty. Just the pettiest people on the planet. And luckily, Emma Sothen wants you to know. Yes. How petty they so, are. So petty they please. had to steal gods from the Greeks. <laughs> Couldn't even think of their own. Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, so, and she spends, you know, a lot of time on gladiators and crucifixion because, man, did those guys enjoy state-sponsored executions. Can you and, remind me? Yes. I believe she talked about Cato the Elder. Does she talk about Cato the Younger? I can't remember. Okay. If he died in a cool way, probably. Um, He died in the pettiest way possible. Then I'm um, almost positive she talks about yeah. him. Yeah. Let's so. just say that there are traditional ideas of, you know, honor and taking one's own life and honor and Cato the Younger failed in his quest to do so in a way that was just a damn mess and uh, read about him okay yeah on your own time yeah he's, a, he's something else so highly <laughs> highly recommend this book also recommend fight like hell by Kim Kelly which is a history of the American labor movement so unions that kind of thing. Um, and in the interesting approach that she takes is instead of, you know, sort of like the first union in the U.S. up through now, she goes by um, industry, mm -hmm. basically. Um, there's a chapter in there on union organizing in prisons, which is just... Wow. I mean, it was she she mentioned extremely hard to research because it's very hard to get in touch with people on the inside. Right. Yeah. Um, and also just incredibly risky for the people doing that organizing, but it's important enough to them 
that they do it. Um, and it just, one thing that, that really, really struck me in reading that book is how violent the history of labor organizing in the U.S. is. Mm-hmm. I mean, basically almost entirely on the part of bosses um, is that when people stop working, they call the police and have them start beating folks who are just oh, standing I mean, on a picket line. Famously, you know? Walter P. Ruther is tonight connected to an event in history known as the literal battle of the overpass. She writes about that. An actual battle. Yep. She writes about that. Detroit, understandably, is a historic union town, makes a lot of appearances in this book, which is always cool for me because I'm like, hey, hey. (laughs) Um, And the uh, the paperback of this book is coming out in April. We should see about getting her on the pod. Let's Um, let's look into that. She's mentioned that she's open to various things like that. And then third, absolutely A plus nonfiction of my year, Vagina Obscura by Rachel E. Gross, Mm -hmm. which is a book about women's healthcare, and it is the only book on the subject that has ever made me feel better than when I started it. Because most books about women's healthcare are like, well, I live I live this, why am I reading a book about it? Mm. But this is, again, like these discrete chapters about these different topics. The last chapter is about healthcare for trans women and uh, surgeons who do gender-affirming surgeries. And it was just spectacular. Mm. I mean, she's writing about all of these scientists mostly but not exclusively women across the world who are the people who are actually saying we know that this is a problem that hasn't been looked into i'm working on it i'm looking into it as opposed to like most chronic illnesses that mostly affect women are like oh we've known about this for 80 years we don't know anything about it and it affects one out of 10 women like these are the doctors who are like working soon we're gonna know something about it um and that just like felt very good and doesn't shy away from the challenges but is also just not horrifically depressing mm-hmm. um and it's a funny well-written book and and her really, writing yeah i was gonna say yeah, her writing style is very probably, engaging mm-hmm. so i didn't really even touch nonfiction this year okay. i had a, enough of real life uh, <laughs> that's, that's legit that's why i started reading about ancient romans yes i was like yes. i mean at least they've been dead a long time to be clear my favorite kind of nonfiction, anyway is always history Mine so too. yeah as far as what else I got into this year, since I didn't really do nonfiction, I read a lot of manga, which we just talked about in a previous podcast, but probably, and this one got mentioned prominently, but A Man and His Cat by Umi Sakurai. Now we're talking beautiful, cozy. Very cozy. This, okay, listener, I keep almost saying reader as if I'm writing this anyway. Yeah. This actually is cozy and sweet. Um, another thing that is actually cozy and sweet is Before the Coffee Gets Cold by uh, Toshikazu uh, Kawaguchi. Mm-hmm. This is about time traveling in a coffee shop, which essentially the premise is that at a very specific time, you can drink a specific cup of coffee in this coffee shop and it will transport you back in time to whatever date and time you prefer. But the rules are you cannot leave your seat in that coffee shop and you have to come back before the coffee that was poured for you gets cold. So there are limitations here and the interactions that happen in this coffee shop are obviously limited and yet the stories that are told are so full. It's almost like a book of short stories that all take place in the same place um, with, of course, a background cast of characters that grow familiar over time. This book made me cry, but it in a good way. It was very sweet and it was very wholesome. And it is a great sort of 
light fantasy novel because to be honest it's actually a very contemporary book it just has time travel which gives it that little sci-fi fantasy take that it needs and then another thing which i won't go into too many details because mary graham is currently reading this book which is the <laughs> very secret society of irregular witches by how do you think this author's name is pronounced i, I can't picture it okay. and I don't have the book in front so, of me. So I believe it's Sangu Mandana. I'm sorry if I butchered that. I have to hear names sometimes. Uh, but. Sangu Mandana? That, that does sound right to that you. That sounds too. right to okay, me. Okay so this book was a joy to read. It also made me cry because I am apparently a crybaby but like for very sweet wholesome reasons once more. It is a found family story through and through literally just in of itself romance there is some romance but that the romance is not the primary concern of the book like it's there it's sweet you root for it there is a happy ending but it's not the romance is not primary in my opinion cynical devil's advocate i see the cartoon people on the cover yeah i mean the cover is cute of how do i want to put this it was (laughs) The synopsis is what drew me in I'm for that I'm just trained book to think that's romance now. <laughs> no, well, that's fair. And there's so many witchy books yes. around right now. The synopsis, it got a write-up in book page that made me go, interesting. interesting. And it's the kind of book, like, the protagonist is Indian. And I feel like you just don't... And, and the she goes to become, like, a magical tutor for these three adopted children who are... Palestinian, Vietnamese, and black. Yes. Yes. And I'm just like, I, this is not, these are not like cultural representations you typically see in witchy books like mm-hmm. this. Um, so, like, that's one of the things that drew me in. I'm only about 70 pages into it yeah. and, like, can confirm it is an excellent, happy little book. of cozy happy books that made me cry can't believe when i was talking about romance novels i forgot that this is the year i read actor age eve brown by talia hibbert uh, which man. oh my god oh my god i read it on audio <laughs> driving back and forth to indiana and just like Roddy, Roddy can tell you when i got halfway through the book because i had reached my destination i'm like texting her in all caps she's sending me flaming elmo gifts well there is a if you have read that book there is a scene and there is nothing more than I need to say that I need to say than that for the people who have read the book because they will automatically know what scene I am talking about that I was waiting for Mary Graham to get to. And I guessed right. She guessed right. She text messaged me two words in all caps and I let <laughs> and out. A, and a lot of, of question marks as well. I actually like exclaimed in real life. No one was there to hear me, but I was like, Haha, finally it yeah. has happened. Yeah. But is this one, two, or three in that trilogy? This is three. This is also my favorite in that trilogy. I love that book. Yep. It was my favorite of of the trilogy. That's awesome. Two two in a series to end strongly. Yes. The third one being the best. Also one of my favorite romantic gestures of all time. Oh my god, yes. It's a promotion. And it's a really good audiobook. Yes. It's a really good audiobook. I need to listen to the audiobook. (laughs) Um just 
head is spinning, trying to guess what the two words are. Oh, oh you're never going to guess. <laughs> you would need like a Rumpelstiltskin situation to know what was going to What if I suddenly just us. did and like the rest of the podcast was just dead silence? Well, you, you have were... to edit it out anyway. Right. <laughs> so <sighs> now I'm thinking I'm currently reading a book which is contemporary it feels like a very secret society of irregular witches but there's no magic in it but i'm really loving it and it's called the band bookshop of maggie banks by shauna robinson hmm. and i am it is definitely a cozy um book heroine does not know what she wants to do with her life trying to figure that out goes to work in her best friend's bookstore while her best friend is on maternity leave and gets up to all sorts of shenanigans because the bookstore is only allowed to sell books that were written and published before 1968. Whoa. Yeah, there's lots of reasons going on there, but uh, yeah. Which, which is a year I once <laughs> marked as what I thought was like the beginning of classics. Uh-huh. Fascinating. Yes. Maybe I'll read this book. Yeah. Only I'm, after I read the Rome book and the labor book. <laughs> I'm just doing my honorable mentions because, like, for example, The World We Make by N.K. Jemison just came out last Tuesday and I pre-ordered it. So I only just got it like a day or so ago. Which is a sequel. Yes. To, to the, the City We Became. Right. Um, speaking of sequels, Bloodmarked by Tracy Dion is the sequel to Legendborn. Um, that just came out yesterday. So I'm still waiting on my pre-order for that. Yeah. I have three standout YA novels. Ooh. Yes, because I do confess I am reading less YA these days. Mm-hmm. Um, is one of them a consuming fire? It is. It is. But I'm going to get to that one sure. third. Spoiler so uh, the, the first one that I read and really, really, really loved is The Drowned Woods by Emily Lloyd-Jones, mm-hmm. which is a standalone fantasy of what I consider to be reasonable length uh, set in sort of not quite alternate whales. It's just sort of historical fantasy whales. Uh, and it is based on a Welsh legend about... Uh, basically a drowned city under there's a flood and the city ends up underwater and so it's a story of how that came to be about um there's a a guild of thieves there's a magic system where people can control elements so the main character can control water um cool yes there's a corgi (laughs) who may or may not be a spy for the fairies who live under the hill and this corgi talks? This corgi does not talk, okay. uh, but his name is Treffer, and nothing bad happens to him, and he is a very good boy. <laughs> uh, so, highly recommend The Drowned Woods. I'm going to have a book set in Wales. I might as well have a corgi. Right. Yeah. I, that's, I, I can't stop smiling that's where, right now. That's where they come from. They're just mm-hmm. like fluffy little loaves of bread, but they are dogs. Um... <laughs> Uh, I also read, for complete change of tone, The Life and Crimes of Hoodie Rosen, which came out very recently. It's by Isaac Bloom. It is about a 15-year-old Orthodox Jewish boy whose family and a bunch of other Orthodox Jewish families have just moved to this small fictional town in New Jersey. They're trying to build a high-rise apartment so that a lot of other Orthodox families can move in. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And they face, like, a lot of anti-Semitism, a hostile city council, hostile mayor. Uh, but then the main character strikes up a friendship with the mayor's daughter. What year or so does it take place? Now. Okay, wow. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not a very long book. Uh, it's very funny. Um, but it's also very unfortunately timely um so if you do read it content warning for anti-semitism and violence there is i would consider it to be like a like a realistically i wouldn't call it a tragedy necessarily um but it's also has shows such love um isaac bloom has taught at orthodox jewish schools and and is a jewish author and Mm -hmm. there's so much love for the orthodox jewish community and way of doing judaism Mm -hmm. and that was just really pleasant to read like Mm -hmm. a book written by someone who quite clearly knows what he's talking about Mm -hmm. um and is able to both love the tradition very much and also bring up loving critiques of the tradition so so all the feels because i have to imagine Family is at the heart of this, and you mentioned funny at points. Yes. So just mm-hmm. all the feels. Lots of feels. Yeah. Lots of feels. But a very easy book to do in one sitting. Um, oh, okay. And then yes, the third, <laughs> the third excellent, excellent YA that I read this year, um, is that it was an advanced copy because it's not published until the end of this month, uh, of a Consuming Fire by Laura E. Weymouth. It is her fourth novel. Um, it is set in again sort of historical fantasy britain albion um where after the romans left the borders basically closed no one has really left the island it is question mark number of centuries later and so while christianity has developed outside of albion sort of the way that historically we think of the development of christianity in ireland and asia minor and things like that it has not come back to Britain with, say, the Irish missionaries or missionaries sent from Rome. And instead, there's this, like, lowercase g god on the mountain. Mm -hmm. And once every 18 years, a girl is sent to be sacrificed to this god. Um, Not to die, but to give up something to him. And then she comes back to her village and she's missing her eyes or her hands or any number of other things. And so the main character's sister goes... And dies, which is, and this is not a spoiler, it happens in the first chapter. Whilst um, whilst being expected to return. Whilst being expected to sister return. Sister says goodbye to sister saying, I'll see you soon, sister. Yes. But. Yes. And so her sister sort of comes staggering home and dies. Um, and the main character, Anya, is like, ah, well, I have rage. I have a bone knife made out of my sister's femur. And I'm off to kill God. Mm-hmm. And it's incredible. And along the way, she falls in with a ragtag band of wanderers. She meets a thief with a heart of gold and also throwing knives. And I mean, this was, I did have to sort of take a break from this book at a couple of points because it gets very intense. And again, content warning, there's a lot of religious abuse in this. Mm -hmm. There's gaslighting. There's all kinds of, um, I mean, I think it really is supposed to read as a metaphor for the sort of warped evangelical nationalist strains of Christianity that we're coming up against a lot in the U.S. right now. Manipulations of superstitions yep. Yep. as a means of control. And a lot of misogyny. Like, it's a lot of young girls who are being expected to, you know, give up their tongues <laughs> or whatever to keep this, you know, thing up on the mountain quiet. Um, and it's so angry 
and I love it so much. Mm-hmm. And it was very, very satisfying. And Roddy kept hearing my updates. I'd pass by I, her desk and be like, she's got a bone knife, Roddy. I cannot It's made from her sister's leg, Roddy. Like <laughs> I can't wait to read this book. I I just can't wait. I'm so excited. Yeah. yeah. And I recommend <laughs> all of Laura Weymouth's books. Her first novel is basically about like so when the Pevensies come back from Narnia, exactly how messed up are Susan and Lucy? And, you know, it's like... Ju- I mean, justice for Susan. Justice for justice Susan. Justice for Susan. Which Laura Weymouth is allowed to do because she understands the original series. Mm-hmm. Philip Pullman doesn't. Mm-hmm. I, I said it. That's right. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but also highly recommend A Rush of Wings, which is her third book, which is about another angry girl. She writes angry girls very well. Um, and she it. also writes standalone third person YA, <laughs> which is, I'm just, Gotta I'm, love it. I'm very, very glad for people who love a good series that they're like, oh, I can, I can spend five books here. When I read the Queen's Thief series, I was like, oh, thank God there's like six of these mm-hmm. and I can just stay in this world that's fantastic. I'm at a point right now where I'm like, one and done, please. Please yes. give me a self-contained story. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Like, Tracy Dion did an excellent job with Legendborn, and I'm excited for Bloodmark. And I have to say that if it weren't a combination of it being, like, her being such an excellent writer and being Arthurian legends, I probably would not be as gung-ho to get into a YA series um, as I currently am. I do hope that it ends at three. I will give four at the most, mm-hmm. but please. <laughs> but no, I'm also of the same, like, just one and done. Yeah. Let's just get this. Just, so. and I, I only say that because I think, because I, I really do love, I mean, first of all, YA is not a genre. It is a marketing category. And so I don't mm-hmm. want to sound like I'm ragging on it. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I have read a number of multiple book YA duologies trilogies where i'm like this doesn't feel like it had to go on this long mm-hmm. and breaking dawn part two well the fact that breaking dawn existed at all it was only supposed to be a trilogy right um to, the to all the boys trilogy was supposed to be a duology and i think it shows but even the even the uh strategy of <laughs> of studios stretching out the film yes, release yeah, yeah that too let's Jeff decided to like pick at one of my biggest pet peeves in movies definitely hollows part two yes which was oh this happened with pretty much all the books that i read as a child and teen where they were like we're gonna adapt them into movies and then we're gonna split the last book into two parts hunger games divergent harry potter twilight i totally blanked on what twilight was for a second um i feel like there's another one that i'm missing like Everything got that treatment and it drove me up the wall and it still does because you don't need to do that. Mm-hmm. You don't. And it shows, as Mary Graham just said. Well, what you the- need to do is make Percy Jackson into a TV series and hire John Steinberg, who did Black Sails. Yeah. And so I'm trying not to get my hopes up too much because I have an eternal beef with Disney. Yes. But like, God, the well, Percy Jackson books were my everything in middle Rick- school. Riordan is doing a, I hope I said his name right this time, is really like heavy handedly okay. involved in the process, okay. it seems. 
And also, he's been doing all of the casting announcements and yes. giving them, like, these beautiful write-ups of yeah. what it was like to watch their auditions and go through the process. He seems so happy, and it's making me happy because Which Percy Jackson deserves this. makes me happy because Rick Riordan has openly criticized the films, which he should. He's yes. right, and he should say it. Yes. Um, well, the listener's going to hate this, but if I could just summarize a TikTok badly... There was someone who got onto book talk, I suppose, and compared Percy Jackson to Harry Potter just in terms of how the series respectively end Mm -hmm. and the way in which Harry does nothing to question the system that Mm -hmm. has led to the uprising of Mm -hmm. Voldemort, etc., but Percy Jackson comes back and uh, actually makes an effort to reorganize things. Yeah, yeah. Percy's like, oh... I came to Camp Half-Blood and found out I'm a demigod and all I got was this extensive trauma and probably PTSD. And no (laughs) t-shirt. No, they get t-shirts. Rather famously, they get orange t-shirts. But But I think when you mentioned YA being a marketing rather than a genre, Mm -hmm. I do think I certainly wouldn't wouldn't, uh, accuse writers, but I have to accuse maybe publishing houses of saying, let's milk this. Yes, which is why they lose court cases. Exactly. We love to see it that's one of my top moments of this year and yeah losing their court case love it love it i feel like this there should be a taylor swift song playing in the background (laughs) karma is my boyfriend so yes oh um we went off on some tangents which i love do we have anything else on that list i have non-book stuff i have one more book okay i do have to say this is the year that i finally finally started reading terry pratchett uh and a couple of discworld books and i started with going postal which again was another road trip audiobook that man oh sir terry how I wish you were still here. Um, and your hat. And your hat and your scarf. Going postal, for anyone who's not familiar with Discworld, um, was recommended to me because there's a gajillion books and there's not quite, you really don't you don't read them in publishing order. That's mm-hmm. not how it's done. Um, and Going Postal was rec- to, recommended to me as a good starting place. Uh, and it's about Moist von Litvig, a con man uh, who, instead of being given the death penalty in the city of Ankh-Morfork, is instead put in charge of its failing post office. And it's a love letter to public services. And I know it's about the post and not about libraries, but there were so many moments when I was like, Sir Terry, thank you for my rights. But it's also just... I mean, it was almost dangerous to be operating a vehicle when I listened to that (laughs) book. It's so funny. It's like, try not to drive off the road as you're laughing. Um, Terry Pratchett, for folks who aren't familiar, it's sort of the, uh, it isn't even the next step up. It's like three steps up. So if you you enjoyed Neil Gaiman and enjoyed Douglas Adams, turn here. Yes, much more in the Douglas Adams vein, I find. But there's just... But he famously collaborated with Neil. He did for good omens. Um, uh-huh. And and Terry Pratchett's work just has this gloriously beating heart of humanity. Um, <laughs> that I mean, his books are very funny, but you can't quite call them silly because there's too much heart to them. Um, and yes, yes. So I read a couple <laughs> other Discworld books as well. But Going Postal, fantastic place to start, or just to revisit. Nice. Yes. So that's my list of books. And like Roddy, I also have non-book things, but yes, you can go. Is um, there, um, is there like, is there any one album that you could possibly oh talk about? Oh my God, Jeff. Off the top of your head. <laughs> you are. Uh, you know, this, this year I think really marked a renaissance. 
and oh my God. I am being picked on. I am being <laughs> singled out. Please. So this is what happened, y'all. Beyonce released an album this year, if you didn't know, and it's called Renaissance. And what day did it get released? Like July 20. It was like the end of July, yep. essentially. When that album came out, I listened to it so much that when I got my like stats back for the month of July, in those few days that it had been out, it became my top listened to album and stayed that way all the way up until this month or like October. But it's not because I stopped listening to it. It's because I have the physical CD. So the CD plays in my car and then I'll play other music <laughs> from my phone. And after all these listens, it still hasn't broken your soul? It, no, it actually just <laughs> uplifts me every single time. Um, I love that album so, so much. I, it also is kind of scary how inescapable it is. Um, there is like this joke on Twitter about what that woman put into this album that made it impossible for people to stop listening to it. Um, which, you know, I don't know, but I, I just keep listening to it. And then I fall into the trap of like, oh, I'm just going to listen to like, one song real quick just a quick little pump up and then you 45 know. minutes later yeah I'm i <laughs> love it when that happens and inexplicable as it may be spellbinding beyonce what did you do Quite literally. <laughs> so that was my album this year um which i know lots of people can relate to um yeah i think I the folks at home have heard of her maybe so. you know just you know Mary Graham. I'm gonna be attacked for this. And, uh -oh. and 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 the thing is, you are going to be correct. Taylor Swift Midnights hasn't come off rotation That's since she dropped it. Also a perfect album. It how how? In the same way that like why am I still listening why to am how I? how is it <laughs> not in a bad way, but like no. what is what is going in on this here? album? Yeah. I just how many bejeweled for crying out loud when i walk in a room i can still make the whole place shimmer how was that the dark horse that one snuck up on me but like yeah finally on this album she picked good singles <laughs> normally she picks hands down the worst songs off of her albums for her singles <sighs> but like the minute she was like oh anti-hero is the first one i'm like oh it only took you 10 albums to learn baby girl um so yes those yes. are the probably the two biggest albums of the year. Yeah, easily. But like um, for good reason. I also so. have non-music, but did you have more music? Uh, the only music that I otherwise have is the third album. Andrew Hosierburn has not yet released. Hosier, please. Andy, Unreal Unearth. I am so when, oh, yeah. Isn't okay, that coming when, out soon? I mean, he's released one of the singles. Thank you, sir, for my rights. But like, I'm begging you now. Sorry. It's almost winter and I'm getting desperate. Listen, Mary Graham. Oh my God. I was going to say Hosier too because he's at, like, after Beyonce stopped being my number one most listened to on title, it was then Hosier because I had the CD. Yeah. Self-titled or Wasteland Baby? All of them. All of them. And also, he's that good. the song Run. Yes. Was on repeat yes. for like days on yes. end. Also, he just did the single for God of War, the game Amazing. release that just came out. So I saw like him singing on Instagram and I was like, 
why didn't you tell me you were doing this as if, you know, he knows me personally and right. we like regularly talk, which, you know, Hosier would not be opposed to. But yeah, we know that you're a regular listener of the pod. Like, yeah, you can get in touch with us. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. <laughs> so, yes, I'm still waiting for that one. And like, obviously, artists make work on their own time. It's not for me to demand. But also, oh, my God, sir, please. When? Please. Fair. Please. Fair. Um, speaking of video games, this just occurred to me, but... I played a video game this year called Stray, in which you are a stray cat navigating a post-apocalyptic city. Available here in the um, library. It is available here in the library. And it is a very short game. It is like five to six hours total for gameplay. I know there's like a speed run trophy you can qualify for if you finish the whole game in like two hours. That's how short the game is. One of my favorite video games, period, Excellent. as of right now. It was such a delight to play. Actually, you want to replay it all the time, to be honest with you. And then you can make the cat meow sporadically. Yeah. Just whenever you want. And that's not the most important detail, but it kind it's of so is, much fun. So just had to put that out there for video game recommendations of the year. <laughs> Shout out to Feral Cats. Yes. I have a podcast recommendation. This one is quite recent, but it is called Save Me From My Shelf. It is two academics from University of somewhere in the midlands of the united kingdom uh (laughs) that i can now no longer remember sorry Um, (laughs) but they uh listeners it's literally the end of the day we're all we're all burned out yeah uh there's no sun you know like it's what 4 30 and the sun is setting before our eyes um but uh Every uh, episode, they recap a work of classic literature, talk about interpretation, um, and, you know, sort of demystifying it. Uh, They do their dream casting for an adaptation. Um, But I mostly recommend it to you, dear listener, because if you enjoy episodes that are basically Roddy and Mary Graham Miss English class, you will love this pod um there's lots of fun sound effects so every time there's like a queer reading they have a sound effect of like a champagne cork popping um and you know it's it's a good time i have been marathoning it uh i particularly recommend their episode on dracula i think there's not even an alternate future but a possible future where the the two of you uh uh take over the helm of this like five or ten years down the line where you become these these two hosts. Or we just <laughs> we are already well on our way. Right, yep. Hot on their heels. Um, what else did I do this year? I watched a lot of anime. I'm not gonna go down the list because it actually is the longest list once I like looked at everything. We should do since we are closish to the end of the episode, we should do a speed round. Just just drop all those names. Okay, so Bleach, <laughs> Helsing, both versions, Spy X Family, Hunter Hunter, Golden Kamui, Demon Slayer, Odd Taxi, Kotara Lives Alone, will make you cry, just letting you know. Komi Can't Communicate will also probably make you cry. Uh, Restaurant to Another World, Sweetness and Lightning will also make you cry. Attack on Titan, not good for your mental health. Um, Witch from Mercury is still currently in progress, and Cyberpunk Edge Runners, based off the video game, based off the game. So much culture. So much. Yes. I thought this was going to be a casual episode. <laughs> Mary Graham, Roddy, just you know, come on the pod. Just, just, we'll just chit chat about some of the stuff we did this year. 
<laughs> you were you were like, oh, it'll be like a party. And I believe Roddy said, you know what makes for a good party? Planning. Yes. Planning. And that's why Notes. we're so good at this. Yes. Um, I feel, even though I know that this isn't true, like I haven't watched any new television <laughs> or movies this year. Um, although I did just finish the third season of Dairy Girls. That will make you cry. Highly, highly recommend. Um, and I've been re-watching Leverage, which is... This is not the first year that I've seen Leverage. Uh, but listener, if you don't know what Leverage is, it is a heist show that was on the air, I want to say 2009-ish was the mm-hmm. first season. Um, it is one of the most consistent television shows I've ever seen. Because when I say to myself, gee, I would like 42 minutes of a team of thieves, a professional sort of not quite a hitman, but he's very good at punching people, a hacker, a con woman, and the mastermind. I want to watch those five guys take down capitalists. And then at the end of the episode, I want them to gloat at the capitalist while jaunty music plays in the background. And John Rogers and the entire team of Leverage said, here's five seasons of that. And now there's a reboot on Amazon Prime. Excellent. So, uh... I've just been ordering, ordering box sets from the library, putting on all the audio commentaries while I cook dinner. Bravo. Um, it's been very and I talked about this briefly the other day, but Abbott Elementary. elementary. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> that show is so freaking funny. <laughs> I'll, I'll watch that. Big it, fan, it big fan so, of Quinter Brunson. It is so freaking funny. I No notes. No notes. No, no notes. notes. Um, the episode where they get gritty. Oh my gosh. That's even better than Parks and Rec when Ben Wyatt doesn't understand little Sebastian. Like Gregory not understanding Gritty and like Melissa opens her mouth and it cuts to a different scene. Yes. Also comedic genius. Yeah. I um I did watch movies this year. I watched everything everywhere all at once. That was excellent. Michelle Yao, a multi-dimensional film. Yes. Um I watched Nope. I really enjoyed that. Best alien design, hands down. Jordan Peele, excellent. I watched The Batman. Probably the best Batman movie that's come out in decades. Robert Pattinson, a.k.a. Twilight. Very nice. Boo. Uh, the Sea Beast. Break, Breaking Dawn, part which two. Which is on Netflix. is a children's movie. It's so sweet. It's adorable. Um, just a kingdom has hired uh, ships of monster hunters to rid the seas of monsters, and it's about overturning a monarchy. Um, I love it. Wendell and Wild, and then another anime movie um, called Jujutsu Kaisen, and that's it. I oh, think I that's everything. Just remembered, I did see one movie this year, and it was Turning Red. I still haven't watched that yet because I'm not ready. That's <laughs> legitimately fair. I spent about eighty minutes of that runtime crying and thinking, "Gosh." Being a 13-year-old girl is in some ways something that is still happening to me. So, very catchy song. Yes. Very, very catchy yes. song. But like every, especially women who I have caught and been like, oh, I watched Turning Red this weekend. All of us immediately go, oh, my God. Oh, my God. So just prepare for that, I guess. But uh, also giant red pandas. They're so fluffy. I almost found myself watching it because when I went to go visit my family back home, my niece had it on, but she was talking to me through the whole movie. So I was like, bless you, two-year-old child, three-year-old child who can't sit still quietly for a moment mm-hmm. because you're saving me from emotional trauma in front of the rest of the family. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's a damn good year. Yeah, both accounts. Good stuff. And I took, I took just like the listener took away some some great recommendations here. Yeah, and it's been such a fun year talking yeah. with you, Jeff. Yeah. So you, my gosh, Graham. yes. Yeah, I think that your first official episode was the romance episode. The first romance episode, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our first episode together, and look at us now. <laughs> yes, look at you now. I think that. Uh, Someone somewhere was like, boy, how do you do Roddy and Mary Graham like to talk about romance? You should put some microphones in front of them. (laughs) And to be fair, now that's a conversation that probably happens around here at least once a month. Yes. Is we'll be talking, you know, in the break room or near our desks and Jeff will run up and be like, stop, stop, stop. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) So, uh, so yes. So there are a few more episodes left in this calendar year of the Mm -hmm. schedule of 2022, including... Literally one week from today's premiere, Laura E. Weymouth will be on the podcast talking so about excited. a consuming so fire. Uh, She's got a knife. We have uh, some other librarians coming to talk about winter reads before we wrap up. Uh, and then we'll be back in January, very likely, uh, as I finally get to my point, with more episodes featuring Mary Graham and Roddy talking about fill in the blank. Uh, <laughs> so here to save you uh, from your shelves. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, both of you. Thank you, uh, Jeff. It's been um, it's been a fun year. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode. We will have uh, more info in the show notes. It's a little too quiet. The Ferndale Library podcast brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. Thank you, John Duffy, for giving us music. And uh, also go to ferndalefriends.org if you want to support this podcast. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. And uh, that's it. Ellipsis. The sun is setting. My brain is broken. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> we should stop playing God with time. <laughs> the time change has still broken me. We'll be back next week with more. Thanks for listening. Read any good books lately? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, but...